Well, the congregation, please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> we'll be looking specifically... We'll be looking specifically at verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. But to stay in context, we will read verses 1 through 12. Please join with me in prayer once again. Lord God, our Father, which is in heaven, we come before Thee, no Lord, as we now open Thy Word to hear it preached and to preach it. I ask that Thou wouldst bless it. The Lord rebukes Satan from taking the good seed from the good soil. Help the slack mind, the tickled ear, the distracted conscience, and the despondent soul to hear thy word, to receive thy word, to believe thy word. Lord Jesus, make thyself known through the preaching. Holy Spirit, please use it and apply it to the hearts of these, thy people. And O my Father, please help this weak and unprofitable servant to accurately and fervently expound thy word and apply it to the hearts of thy people. Lord, speak to our minds, but not our minds only, but also to our hearts. Help us to be doers and not simply hearers of thy everlasting word. We thank thee for preserving thy word and giving it to us, that we might preach it, and the simple as well, as the great in understanding might come to it and be fed. A place where elephants can swim and lambs wade. Lord, we stand in awe of thy word and of thy work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Timothy chapter 1. Again, we will be looking specifically at verse 12, but to stay in context, let us read the first 12 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou for ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Dear congregation, as the Christian life is a life of self-denial, so too is it a life of suffering. In chapter 3 and verse 12 of this same letter, Paul writes, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Our own Lord Jesus himself has told us that days come and days go, wherein people shall think it their divine duty even to put us to death for our faith in him. John 16, 2. Indeed, we should not think it strange when we are brought into and tried by fiery trials, as though some strange thing was happening to us, according to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.12. Our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ, has suffered before us. Shall we think that we shall not suffer also with him? Now, it is not only the sufferings brought about by the world's persecution of us that I am speaking about. No. Indeed, our suffering has a threefold cause because we have a threefold enemy our own sin, Satan, and the world. All three of those cause suffering in the saints. In our text before us, the Apostle Paul is lying in a prison cell, suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he knew the golden key to Christian contentment. As we have said before, he knew that contentment, godly contentment, came not by simply looking or only looking to the providence of God, but to the God of providence And thus, it was only by denying himself and all of his his preferences and in all of his desires and daily taking up his cross and following Jesus that he could say, as we know in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It was only by looking unto Christ in whom all his hope was placed, 
that he could consider all of his current afflictions and sufferings as light and could see them for what they truly were, momentary. And not only see them as light and momentary, but also working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory for him, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Even with sin besetting him from inside, Satan assaulting him, and the world persecuting him from without, the Apostle Paul could and did set his eyes upon the God of power, who through his Son, Jesus Christ, saved him and called him with an holy calling, not according to his works, but according to his own purpose and grace, as we saw in verse 9. Know this, that grace freely received by a man causes a man and makes him willing and able to freely give himself in his master's service whatever it requires. Yea, dear believer, when we perceive, as did Paul, that at the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to us through the gospel, verse 10, then we too will be enabled to endure all of this life's hardships brought about by our own sinning, Satan, and this present evil world. Now, dear congregation, there be many other gospels which are not other gospels at all. But only the true, biblical, revealed gospel of Jesus Christ can bring such security, such joy and peace to the assaulted soul. We must cling to God as he is made known in the gospel and in no other manner whatsoever. Not with our own devices, our own thoughts, or our own preferences as to who God should be. It is then that we can say with Paul, For the which cause, the gospel, I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Verse 12. Many people believe many things. But they do not know in whom they have believed. They profess to be Christian, but at the first tug of their heart by their bosom and most cherished sin, at the softest whisper of Satan, and at the lightest suggestion from this world, they be off of their profession in Christ and into conformity with sin falsehood, and passion. Many who have made brash statements of bravery and fidelity to the gospel of Jesus Christ have just as hastily defected when met with some resistance. We have heard of that man who during the reign of Bloody Mary in 16th century England 
who was the papist persecutor of the church, we've heard of that man that said he was so devoted to Christ, so free from the desires of the flesh, that he would rather be willing to see his very fat, of which he had much, melt in the fires of persecution at the stake than to return to the papacy and deny Christ. This poor man, unfortunately, lived rather to see his own resolution for Christ melt as he cowardly parted with his faith to save his fat. No. True resolution for Christ in the midst of so many temptations, so many heresies and confusions and dangers can only be worked in us by knowing who it is that we have believed in and entrusted our whole life and soul unto. And our, in our text, specifically, verse 12, we see three aspects of the Christian life. Number one, suffering for Christ. Number two, believing Christ. And number three, trusting Christ. First, suffering for Christ. Our Lord Jesus, as we mentioned, told us that in this life we shall have much trouble and many tribulations, and that just as he was hated, so also shall we be. John 16, 33 and 15, 18. Who more sincerely devoted to the gospel? Who more sincerely given over to God's will than Paul? And yet, here he languishes in prison for Christ. Faithfulness to God, dear believer, will not save us from present sufferings. And in fact, it is often the case that those who are most faithful to God suffer the most in this life. It is true that God places his best soldiers in the thickest and most heated part of the battle. We suffer under three enemies in this life. We suffer at the hands of our own sin. To the non-believer, there is nothing more natural nor more pleasant than to indulge in the carnal desires of his sinful flesh. But to the true believer, sin is the very bitter contradiction of his new life. Few things cause a believer more inward pain and discomfort and distress than doing that which his new heart, given to him by God from above, does not desire. Few things more disquieting than to find within him that the good that he now wishes to do for God, he often leaves undone, and those wicked acts against God, which he now hates and does not wish to do, these he often finds himself doing, as we see was the case with Paul in Romans seven fifteen, To find an inward principle at work within the believer, which he views as no better than having a corpse chained to him, a body of death, to find that there's a principle 
dwelling within him still, often causing him not to do the good he would do, but the evil which he hates, is a great cause for sorrow and discomfort in a true believer. For the non-believer, sin, giving in to sin, enjoying sin, is a welcome guest. But to the Christian, it is a vicious alien invader. Yea, only a true believer knows this great suffering, which is brought about by returning, choosing to return into slavery to sin, from which Christ has set him free. Believer, thou knowest the sadness which thy heart senseth when it gives indulgence to that sinful principle dwelling illegally in thy bosom. Thou knowest the sorrow. Thou knowest only too well that sad moment when thy resolution for Christ goeth from a Joseph's how, the, how then shall I do this great evil and sin against God Unto a lot, is it not a little one? Thou knowest that sad moment well. Nothing but an eye to the sin-cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, who, though we be faithless, remains faithful, can lift thy despondent soul from the depths of despair. Only the gospel can cover thy shame. Truly, we willingly, as Christians, suffer at our own hands in our sinning against God. Another enemy that causes us to suffer is that we suffer at the hands of Satan. It would be well for us to never underestimate our infernal enemy. That ancient serpent, the devil, Satan and his hosts, dear believer, surround us at all times, desiring to sift us as wheat. He prowleth about as a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Although, as Christians, we are as Job, safe from any of his death blows, yet Satan is free at God's permitting to afflict our bodies with suffering beyond imagination and our souls with temptation to sin and to be unfaithful. Satan loves to add insult to injury. If he cannot kill the Christian, which he cannot, then he makes it his desire and aim to paralyze the Christian with doubt, fear, and guilt. Satan gives us many if God really is and a multitude if if you truly are constantly sowing doubt attacking our identity in Christ. But even here we have no need to be ashamed dear believer. No need to borrow Adam's loincloth. For God has endowed us with a heavenly panoply of divine weaponry. We have been clothed with power from on high through which God fights for us. 
We take up the shield of faith with which we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. Ephesians 6.16 This shield, dear believer, which thou hast, the shield of faith, is of the finest steel, beaten together with all the promises of God and his word. So, when Satan whispers to us in our sin, thou canst not be God's child. We block that fiery arrow aimed at our soul with, we are all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 26. When he slurs to us, thou art surely condemned. We may answer, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. When he hisses his sinful suggestions to our mind that we can go on and sin since God is merciful and that it is but a little sin that we wish to do. We can push him back with, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6, 2. Truly, dear congregation, we suffer much at Satan's hands and let us never underestimate that. But we are not ashamed For we have our covenant-keeping God as our shield and high tower. Again, we suffer at the hands of the world. At the hands of the world. The world has called our blessed Jesus a worker of iniquity. It has hated him. It has equated his power with that of Satan. And we are not greater as disciples than our master. We shall be likewise hated, dear congregation. The world shall mock, hate, persecute, misrepresent, and even kill us. But here again, we have no reason to be ashamed. For we have an inheritance in heaven kept by the Son of God himself for us. Let the world indulge in its sins. Let the world indulge in its lusts, its passions. Let the world do all those things, all that it desires. We are destined for something greater. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. So let it mock. Think nothing of its mockings. For he that doeth the will of God abideth forever, the word says. 1 John 2.17. As a Christian, You should come to learn the rule that God has set for thee. It's a very special rule that stands before us if we wish to enter into Christian maturity. And it says this, Others may, but you may not. Let others go do as they wish. Thou givest thyself to thy God. From our threefold enemy, we indeed suffer, but we suffer no shame. How? How is this done? How can we suffer no shame when we are assaulted from within and without? Our next two points will briefly elucidate. Second point, believing Christ. Second aspect of Christian living, believing Christ. Paul says he is not ashamed because he knows him whom he had believed. He was not ashamed of Christ or his gospel, come whatever hardships may. 
So to follow Paul's example, we must first know who it is that we believe upon. We must know his character, know his attributes. Now listen carefully. Jesus Christ, dear believer, thy Jesus, is the eternal God, the second person of the triune sovereign over all. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is God, manifest in the flesh, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the one through whom all things were created, in whom all things consist. All creatures move and have their being in him. He is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, who, who though tempted in all ways, like as we are, was yet without sin, and who after he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the very righteousness of God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law on our behalf. He satisfied the justice of God that was against us, becoming sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him, we have peace with God. That is thy Jesus. That is thy God. Behold him. Behold thy God, O Israel. Behold thy God, dear Christian. This is he whom Paul knew, whom we know through faith and through the self-authenticating word of God. This is he upon whom he had believed. And if we be Christian, we too have believed upon him whom we know. We can gladly endure suffering because we, like Paul, are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto everyone that believeth. Notice Paul, Paul's use of the perfect tense, I have believed. I have believed. It is a completed action. He had believed unto salvation. And thus, he continues to believe unto salvation. Faith being the gift of God to us, it is never retracted by him. He had believed, and so shall believe in the midst of any suffering. If you briefly look at Philippians 1.20, Philippians 1.20. Paul says this. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He was not ashamed. He knew whom he had believed. And he knew that life was Christ and death was merely gain. You have to know whom you have believed to know what the Apostle Paul is speaking about there. To see life as nothing other than Christ and being given to him and death as nothing but gain because we go into Christ's presence. 
You must know who this God is. Dear believer, thy faith is God's gift. Thou hast believed once upon Christ, and so he shall preserve and increase thy faith now. Take great assurance in this as a Christian. And this brings us to our final point. Third, trusting Christ. Paul was not ashamed to suffer. He was not ashamed to suffer. For he knew whom he had believed. And he says that he was persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So because Paul knew the character and the attributes of the Jesus whom he had believed upon, he was thus fully persuaded that this same Jesus was able to keep that which he had entrusted to him, namely his soul salvation. And that he could keep it against or in spite of that evil day, the day of judgment, the day of suffering, the day of temptation. So, Dear believer, hast thou believed on Jesus? Hast thou entrusted to him all thy soul's salvation? Yes. If thou art a believer. Therefore, having looked to Jesus, find him a faithful keeper of that which thou hast entrusted to him at all times. It is not thy holding on to Christ which saves thee. Remember this. But Christ holding on to thee, which saves thee. Thou art in his saving hands, as he says in John 10. And none shall pluck thee therefrom. None. Therefore, having confidence in his work and not thine, go forward in the service of thy Savior, Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed to suffer for him. Do not look to the sufferings caused by your own sin, but come afresh unto Jesus, unto God through Jesus, never looking at your sin but to mourn for it, then bring it again to God in Christ. Never caring that Satan can tear thee to pieces, but ever relying on the strong arm of God. Never caring what the world says or does, but knowing that thou belongest unto thy faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has purchased thee with his own blood. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you of salvation will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Will perform it. That's why Paul says, I counted him faithful. I entrusted to him, having believed upon him, I entrusted to him all of my soul, all of my being, all of my purposes in life. There's much talk in the modern reformed community modern academia from seminaries and places of training for christian work so-called that we can never really be certain of anything 
They've adopted the secular model of being completely unsure, you know, not having full knowledge that what you're teaching or thinking is true is a sign of humility. And they've brought that over into their Christianity. You can never really know what the Bible is. We have to wait for more scraps to be found in a trash bin in Egypt. Then you might know what the Bible really says. This is God's holy word in the original autographs, which are gone. We can never really know fully all the verses in Scripture, the key doctrines in Christianity. There might be some room where we can improve our understanding. Christianity is always fluctuating and changing in their mind. We can take a new, fresh approach, even unto the confessions of faith, which the Reformed community holds to. Well, what did the Westminster Divines mean by this? What did the Baptist framers mean in their chapter on the covenant? Well, what it says is this apostolic Christianity? Is this the mindset of biblical Christianity? No. Not at all. Paul says being confident. Being confident of this very thing. What very thing? That he, God, which hath begun a good work in us, in Jesus Christ, and our faith in him, will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no buts. There's no maybes. There's no insurity there. We can have actual certainty about what God teaches in his word. Actual certainty about what is true. True, there's, there are a few things in scripture that are not as clear as others. And we might have less certainty. We might not have complete certainty in those few aspects. But on the core doctrines of Christianity and the vast majority of things the Bible teaches, we can have true certainty. Because once you open the door for one small aspect that you don't have confidence in before you know it, you're not confident that Jesus even died for our sins. Remember what the Apostle said Romans 8. That famous passage, Romans 8, the last 10 verses. Verse 30. Moreover, whom God did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Not our sin, not Satan, and not the world. He that spared not his own son, he continues, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or, pers- or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no uncertainty there. There's no maybes. No. There's nothing but an entrusting to Christ all that Paul is, and thus all that we are as believers. We give him everything. Let us then, dear congregation, find him whom we have believed upon faithful, and then entrust our all unto him, and be unashamed to suffer for his person and work. Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again Come before thee. O Lord, give us boldness, confidence, assuredness in thy Son, Jesus. Help us to entrust all that we are to thee, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us and apply this word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.